You understand that song gets at the heart of the fundamental difference between every other religion on earth and Christianity. Because every other religion on planet earth majors on this. You must do, you must do, you must do. Fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill it in with. That's religion when it puts responsibility on you. You must do, you must do. Christianity says this. He's done it. Amen, brother. Because if it's up to me, this is one thing you can rest assured of. I will mess it up. But thank God for what He has done. And what He has done can never be undone. So, before I get to preaching off subject, let's, let's take our attention and focus it on Hebrews chapter number 3. Man, what a, what a smart preacher it was that wrote this. And I say preacher because obviously this is written in the form of, of someone who is delivering a, a message or a sermon. And if my theory is true that it was Apollos, then we know that he was a very eloquent preacher. You'll notice that he begins almost each new section, sometimes each paragraph, with therefore, which means he is showing us his skill and logic because he is basing everything that he says on something that he has already established. So he's saying, if this, then this. Uh, this logically follows, and this is the natural logical conclusion from what I've just said. So last week he talked about the certainty of the fact that Christ was faithful over his house and in building his house, that is, the church. Building his house with good material that he has redeemed from the junk pile, you and I. And he has made us into a temple, a holy temple, built his house. And now the writer says, therefore, in verse number 7, basing what he's going to say in this paragraph on what he has already said. So here we go. Listen as I read starting in verse number 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, this author has a good habit of taking words of Scripture and either putting them in the mouth of Jesus, as we saw him do uh, earlier, or putting words of the Scripture in the mouth of the Holy Spirit. So that's what he does here today. He says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95... And Psalm 95 takes us to the historical context of Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7 that Garrett just read. So really what we have today before us is the Bible triple, or we have the Bible in triplicate. 
because we have the author of the inspired book of Hebrews quoting the inspired writer of the Psalms who was writing about the historical context of Exodus. So boy, we kind of have triple Bible here before us today. And notice what it is he does in this, in this, uh, this passage that refers back to the Psalms that points to a historical context. He really poses this question for us. And I want you to answer it today in your heart. Does God have good intentions for you? Does God have a plan for you? And has God had this plan since before the foundation of the world? And I think the resounding answer if we have read our Bible would be, yes, that's true. God has a plan. He has a future marked out for you as a child of God, which is what we call His preferred future. And that future is better than anything that you could imagine or draw up or desire for yourself. His plan is better than our plan. What He wants for your life is better than what you want for your life. So question number two that this context begs is this. Since God has a good plan for your life, can I miss His best plan? And if we look at the historical context, we have to say, yes, we can. Now, I wish I was Calvinistic enough to say no. If God's planned it, it's going to happen. There's no way you can miss it. But it seems to me that the Bible says that God can have a destiny for me, a destiny for you, a plan for you, a preferable future for you, and somehow another, we can be boneheaded enough to miss it. Huh? I mean, if that weren't the case, then just take this page out of your Bible. Because this is what the warning is about. It's about missing God's preferred future. So I want to speak to you on this subject today for a little while. Since it's raining outside, we're not in a hurry to go out and get wet. So I'll be through maybe by 1.30. No, no, no rush here. I want to speak to you on this subject. Y'all know better than that, don't you? Some folk come sometime and they say, Pastor, you're just getting on a roll. Why did you quit? Here's my question to you. Have you ever worked in Grace Kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate it. Here's my subject for today. The barricade to God's best. What is it that stands between us and that preferred future that God has for us. And I think this passage identifies it very clearly. As a matter of fact, notice what it is that the Scripture says. Here's the imperative. Here's the command in verse number 8. Do not harden your hearts. That's the command that's incumbent upon you and it's incumbent upon me today. Do not harden your heart. You see the word harden there? It's an interesting word in the original language. It's the same word that we get our word sclerosis from. Now, those of you who work in the medical field know what sclerosis is. It's a conditioning. I mean, you can have it of the arteries, sclerosis of the arteries. And maybe more famously, you can have it of the liver. 
uh, sometimes due to excessive drinking, sclerosis of the liver, but nonetheless the word means to harden. That's a condition when your arteries become hard, they lose their pliability, they lose their flexibility, and the same way with our hearts. If our heart becomes hardened, we lose sensation, we lose sensation, we lose the ability to be flexible, we lose the ability to apply God's Word, to absorb God's Word, everything just kind of bounces off. And that's what the writer tells us to avoid at all costs. He says, do not harden your heart. But now here's the thing. You know, you can have a hard heart and not know it. I don't know of anybody, if I said today, if you've got a hard heart, raise your hand. Hardly anybody would raise their hand. Simply because we can have it and not know it. As a matter of fact, that's the nature of a hardened heart. It kind of blinds us to reality. So we need somebody to be able to do just like the physician does when we go in and he says, man, what your problem is, you got sclerosis or hardening of the arteries. We need somebody to read the characteristics, read the symptoms, and tell us if we're in danger of having a hardened heart. Now, who do you think does that for us? The writer of this passage, who is the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. So let's look at this passage and let's see what he says about this condition of hardening of the heart that can become the barricade to God's best in our lives. Notice what it is that this guy says. I think the first thing that he says in verses 7 through 9 is that a hard heart has definite characteristics. Oh, we can know. The Spirit will diagnose us. He will tell us if we are in danger of missing God's best due to sclerosis of the heart. Now, notice what it is he says. I think the first condition or the first characteristic he marks out for us in verse number 7 is this. A hard heart does not prioritize God's Word. Does not prioritize God's Word. Now, let me show you this in verse number 8. Look what he says. He said, no, I'm sorry, in verse number 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today. Now, here's a little word, but here's the key word in this sentence. It's the word if, underline it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, the reason I say if is because the Holy Spirit speaks every day, does he not? He does. How do we know that He speaks every day? Well, because His Word is there, right? I mean, is there anybody in Grace Church that does not have access to a copy of God's Word? I mean, that is how God speaks. He speaks through His Word, and how do we know that? Because the writer tells us that. He says, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95. So how is it that the Holy Spirit speaks? He speaks through the inspired infallible, authoritative, accurate Word of God. So here's the question. Have we heard from God today? We have to ask ourselves that every day. And notice, here's what we really have to ask ourselves. Have I not heard from God because I have not prioritized His Word? Have I spent time listening for God's voice through the Scripture Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. 
And if we've not heard from the Lord, it's because we have not prioritized His Word and we haven't cracked His book. So the entire sentence here hinges on that little word, if. If, if. So a hardened heart, number one characteristic, does not prioritize God's Word. Now, check out what he says here, and this is interesting to me. Uh, uh, he tells us something about the way God speaks. And the first thing he tells us is that God speaks contemporarily. Now, that's so cool to me. Not the word contemporarily, but the fact that God speaks contemporarily. Now, notice what he does. He takes a psalm that was written about nearly a thousand years prior to him living... And he brings that psalm into present reality and says, Today, if you hear his voice. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and he applies it to your life contemporarily for right now. You see, when we read the Bible, we're not just reading a history lesson. It's not just something that was written or addressed to people who lived 2,000 years ago. But here's what's miraculous about God's Word. When we read God's Word, we put ourselves in a position of getting instruction from God about what I'm going to face when I walk out the door of my house today. Amen. Today. Today. It's relevant for right now. And my goodness, so many times we read the Bible as if it's ancient history. If it's something that worked for them but really doesn't apply to me. And friend, nothing could be further than the truth. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He speaks to the people of God about what the people of God need to death. Now look, He may not give you what you're looking for that's going to happen a month down the road, but He's going to speak to you about what you need today. Today, today. So how does the Spirit of God speak? Well, number one, He speaks contemporarily. But number two, notice what else the Bible says. The Bible says not only does he speak contemporarily, hey, God's got a word waiting for you, right? Did you know that? Isn't that cool? Almost as if God wrote it 2,000 years ago with you in mind and the situation that you're going uh, to experience today. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, it's almost like God had you in mind when he wrote this passage. Man, that's when Logos becomes Rhema. That's when it gets down to right where we live. So check it out. Not only does God speak contemporarily, I think the scripture tells us also that God communicates congregationally. Congregationally. Now you know, thank God that He speaks to us privately, huh? I mean, if that wasn't the case, I, I just wasted 10 minutes on explaining the need for us to spend time with God in His Word every day, right? So He does. But God also speaks congregationally. Now how do I know? Because notice what the writer does here. He says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you... Now you see that you right there? You may want to underline it. Because here's what we miss in English. English just has no way of making a distinction between you singular and you plural. Oh, but Greek does. So guess what this is? This is you, plural. So here's how you translate that. Today, if y'all, today if y'all hear his voice. So what is he saying? He's saying, man, here's what happens. 
Somehow or another, when the people of God, the y'all of God are together and the Word of God is open and the Word of God is preached, God speaks to y'all. Isn't that cool? So not only does God speak contemporarily, but God speaks congregationally. And do you know that's why we have grace groups? It really is. That's the purpose behind grace groups. Because we want to get together and not just have preaching be a one-way communication, but be a two-way. Hey, we want to get folk together and say, now, if we believe that when the people of God come together and the Word of God is preached and the Spirit of God speaks to us, then what in the world did He say? Because we're responsible for what He said. So Grace Groups is about fleshing out what did God say to Grace Church through His Word the last time we got together. And how do we flesh it out and how do we make it work? You see, if we don't do that, we're going to be like the folk that James talks about who are hearers of the Word only, but not doers of the Word. So a hard heart, characteristic number one, a hard heart does not prioritize God's Word neither privately nor congregationally. Check out number next. Not only does a hard heart not prioritize God's word, but a hard heart proves its own ineffectiveness. A hard heart proves its own ineffectiveness. In other words, get this. Life is not going to be peaches and cream if you are the possessor of a hard heart. It's just not. Hey, I want to ask you this. If God diagnoses you with a hard heart, here's the conclusion that we ought to come to. Hey, how's this working for me? And can I tell you how it's working? It's not. You're going to become bitter. You're going to become resentful. You're going to become undisciplined. You're going to become angry. You're going to become discontent. You're going to be torn apart by worry and stress. And all of those things because, listen, life doesn't work when you got a hard heart. It just doesn't. So notice, these folk who have a hard heart, they prove its own ineffectiveness. Now, let me show you where this comes from in Scripture. Notice what it is that, that, that the Bible says here. The Bible says in verse number 9 something that amazes all of us, but we are right there most of the time. Look what he says. The last, matter of fact, it's 9b. He says... And they saw my works for 40 years. Now get this. He's talking about this generation that was in the wilderness that had a hard heart who he said, y'all are not going to enter into the promised land because of your hard heart and where it's led you. So here's what he's saying to us. He says, if the word is not prioritized, get this, write this down. Here's your takeaway for today. Here's your takeaway. If the word is not prioritized in a church or in the life of a believer, something else will be prioritized. Are you following me? So when the word is not number one, it's usually because something else has rooted itself out of its place and something else has taken the number one seat. Now notice, here is the error that so many good brothers and sisters fall into. If the word is not enough, had God been speaking to those people while they were in the wilderness? 
you better believe he had. I mean, he had revealed himself there like never before through Moses on Mount Sinai, right? I mean, they heard his voice and they were scared to even come close to the mountain for fear that they would die. So had God been speaking to them? Yes, he had. But the bottom line is for them, because they didn't prioritize the word, God's word wasn't enough. You know what they had to see? They had to see a miracle. They had to have some type of experience. So they tested God and wanting to give them an experience. Now, brothers, here, listen to me. That is so dangerous because I could point you to about 40 churches within 15 miles of us today where the word is not preached. The only thing that matters to them is do I get the warm and fuzzy feeling when I come here? And son, that's dangerous because something else has rooted out the priority of God's word. And listen, it doesn't care how many miracles you see. This proves the ineffectiveness of miracles to cause people to be faithful. You can see miracle after miracle. And the only thing you're going to want by seeing miracle after miracle is to see another one. Because if you live on the basis of experience, if you come to church today and you have some ecstatic feeling and experience and jibber-jabber and flounder on the floor, then next week you're going to have to exceed that before you're satisfied. But by golly, if you're hooked on the Word, you come to church and you say, Preacher, quit telling those warm, fuzzy stories and give me the book. And that's what people who have a soft heart want. They want God's Word. But here these folk, God says, even though you saw all of my miracles, you had all of these experiences, it hasn't helped you one bit in your walk of faith because your heart is just as hard as it possibly can be. And because of your hard heart, you're going to miss me. As a matter of fact, they did miss him. Did you see the last sentence of what Garrett read today? Here's what they said. They said, is the Lord even among us? When you've got a hard heart, you can't even discern the presence of God anymore. Because they didn't prioritize the word. They let something else become priority. Check out number next. Not only does a hard heart not prioritize God's word, and a hard heart, a hard heart proves its own ineffectiveness, it just don't work. Life don't work like that. But a hard heart also foolishly provokes the Lord. Look in verse number 8. Do not harden your heart as when they provoked me. You know what Jesus said? when the devil came to him in the wilderness, what did he quote and what did he say? He said, For it is written, You shall not test the Lord your God. Hey, if his word's enough, we don't need to put him to the test. If we believe that God is a God who says what he means and means what he says, we don't have to have evidence. We take his word at face value. But the Bible says here, those folk with a hard heart, they kept provoking God and provoking God and pushing Him and pushing Him and seeing just how far they could push Him. And can I tell you it's dangerous to live in known willful disobedience to God? Do you know who you're dealing with? And do you know what He could do just by thinking about it? He could just think about removing your ability to breathe and he'd suck all the air right out of your lungs and you'd turn blue and die just like that. 
I mean, he doesn't have to hit you with a bolt of lightning. Or, even worse, he could just say, all right, I'm done with you, and let your hard heart take you to its logical conclusion and finish. Hey, this word provoke, it's a word that means to do something foolish, like walk out into my pasture and take my old cantankerous bull and just provoke him. That's not going to end very well, is it? And you see, that's what a hard heart does to the Lord. It just continues to push and push and push until there comes that place when you reach that point where the Bible says, for the Spirit of the Lord shall not always strive with man, and the hour of grace is done. Man, it's a fearful thing. Fall into the hands of an angry God. Check out how this passage moves next. Not only do verses 7 through 9 give us the characteristics, the definite characteristics of a hard heart, but then verse 10 through 11 give us the dreadful consequences of a hard heart. So what are the dreadful consequences? Well, I think the first thing that this writer tells us in verse number 10 is that a hard heart forfeits God's pleasure. Look in verse number 10. Therefore I was angry with this generation. Angry. Now, somehow or another... We have tamed God today. Did you know that? We have so tamed Him until we have removed any element of righteous indignation from Him. And we want to hear about a God who loves everybody all the time, no matter how disobedient or foolish they're acting. A God who would never do anything out of anger, who would never do anything that's against my personal preference. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, I was angry with this generation. And can I say to you, do you know what our number one job is as believers? Here's what Paul says. Paul says in Ephesians chapter number 4, he says, it's your responsibility to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Did you get that? Our number one priority is to please Him. To please Him. Do you know what my number one priority is with my wife? Yes, it is, whoever said it. Because look here, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Are you following me? Is that right? Huh? Mad wife, bad life. Happy wife, good life. Amen. You know, uh, there you go, Jeremy. <laughs> We didn't fall off a turnip wagon, right? 42 years of experience. A little bit of wisdom there. So look, now apply that to God. If I displease Heather and my life can become miserable, how do you think I'm going to be if I'm living under the displeasure of Almighty God? Hey, look here. I could put most counselors out of business just with this one truth right here. You don't need to go be psychoanalyzed. What you need to do is learn how to please God. Because you can't live outside of God's will and not have His pleasure on your life and expect your life to be a bed of roses. It's just not, hey, hear me, especially if you're one of His children. He's not going to let you do that. It's just outside the scope of possibility. He's, he's not going to allow it. But here's what the psalmist says and your presence is fullness of joy. 
and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, it doesn't matter what our circumstances. If we're living under the smiling pleasure of Almighty God, son, you can experience fullness of life. No matter what circumstances you're in. Because it doesn't matter how bad my circumstances are as long as I'm living under the smiling pleasure of God Almighty. Hey, you know, I, I've never understood this logic. Some folk, you know, they, they get in trouble, and instead of repenting, they just go and do something else. That, that's just pushing the Lord. Hey, if this didn't work, another step farther is not going to work either. Why not just repent and live under the smiling pleasure of our great God? Check out number next. Notice the dreadful consequences of a hard heart. Number one, a hard heart forfeits God's pleasure. Number two, a hard heart penalizes its peers. Penalizes its peers. Now check this out. Look with me in, in, in verse number 10. Therefore I was angry with this generation. Generation is our key word there. With whom was God angry? That entire generation was penalized. They were kept from going into the promised land. Now stop and think with me. We're talking two million people. Don't you think there was 10 or 11 or 12 of them in there that loved God with all their heart, mind, and soul? Huh? They did, didn't they? There had to be some. There had to be some in there that were saying... Will y'all stop acting like idiots and provoking God? That's going to get us nowhere except in deep trouble. The voice of reason had to be there because here's what I find. Heather and I have preached in churches all over the United States as an evangelist, as a missionary, as a pastor and a conference speaker. And we've been in some pretty horrendous churches. But you know what we found? Even in the most horrendous church, there's still some good people. Ain't that right? There is. But guess what? Those good people suffer because of the hard heart of the majority. And here these good people were who were probably in the midst of this generation. They were penalized because of the hard hearts of their brothers and sisters. Now look, that's just the way the Bible puts things out there. Here's what we do in the United States of America. Here's something that we do that's cultural. In the United States, we don't value the group at all. It's not a group mentality. You know what it is? It's the individual. It's the individual. It doesn't matter about the group. It only matters about the individual. But it's not like that in biblical philosophy and in, in the economy of God. God is concerned about the group. And I hear folks say this stuff all the time. I was at a, at, a, at, a, at a spiritual conference the other day and I heard the preacher say this. It doesn't matter what anybody else in your church does. You can have revival right now. And I start to stand up and say, Sir, I don't know what Bible you're preaching from, but that's not biblical. You can't rise above the spiritual level of the family that God's put around you. We just can't. So here's what we'll do. We'll either hold one another down or we'll either push one another up. That rising tide causes all the boats in the harbor to go up. 
But when it falls, son, it causes all the... There's not one boat out there that's still high. You following me? And it's the same way spiritually. Good people suffer because hard-hearted people penalize the entire bunch. And son, if we miss God's best, maybe because we missed it as a group, not as individuals. And that's why it's so important that we understand that church membership is important. Because we don't live in a vacuum. What I do affects you. What you do affects me. What one another does affects each other. And again, that's why we want to live in community so that we can be a healthy community without hard hearts. We want to be a community that gets everybody to God's best and to God's preferred future. So everybody can experience the pleasure of God and live under His smiling face. Check out number next. Not only does a hard heart penalize its peers, but a hard heart develops predictable patterns. Predictable patterns. Do you know that most of you have a spiritual pattern? All of us do. We can say it like this. Most of us are in a rut. And it's not rocket science. You don't have to be Sigmund Freud to figure out what somebody's pattern is and be able to predict what it is that they're going to do next. Simply because that's normally what happens when folks start getting a hard heart. You can start predicting it. Hey, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but my wife can tell you I can call some things a mile off before they ever happen. Simply because of predictable patterns that normally flesh themselves out. Check out the pattern that he talks about here. Notice the Holy Spirit says this through Psalm number 95. Notice this predictable pattern in verse number 10. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said... Now here's what God is saying. The Holy Spirit in Psalm 95 is saying this. He says, They always go astray in their hearts. Now here's a key word. Underline this word, always. Now, here's something that you're going to hear if you ever go to a marriage retreat or a marriage seminar, one of those types of things. You're going to hear the leader say there's two words that you can never use in a relationship. What are they, Alyssa? Always and never. Always and never. Which seems to me a contradiction to me because if you tell me there are two words I can never use and one of those words is never... <laughs> Didn't you just break your own rule? <laughs> but no, the principle there is right, even though it is a self-contradiction. Now, let's say it like this. There are two words that we shouldn't use. <laughs> Always and never. Man, don't, 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 don't get on your skin when a person you're having a quarrel with says, Will you always? <laughs> See, always. You know what that is? That, that is a pattern. That's a predictable pattern pattern. And look, it, it wasn't somebody who used it. it. It's not okay if I use that with Heather, but it is perfectly legit if God says that about us. Because see what God just did was He just nailed our predictable pattern. And He said, you always, you always, and this is why He was angry. This is why there was a barricade between them and God's best. Notice what they always do, and here's what it is. One has to do with the heart, and the other has to do with the head. Number one, their heart is uncontrolled. 
Their heart is uncontrolled. Look what he says. Again, here's the key word. They always go astray in their hearts. You know, this kumbaya stuff about the warm and fuzzies, you hear it all the time on TV. You hear it in country songs. You hear it everywhere. And it goes something like this. Just follow your heart. Well, you better not. Because your heart is wicked, <coughs> deceitfully, uh, desperate and deceitfully wicked. And here's what our job to do with our heart is, is to keep it under the control of the Spirit of God. What is our heart and what is he talking about here? You see, the heart is the center of several things. Number one, it's the center of our emotions. Do, do I need to spend any time talking about how many people have ruined their life over an uncontrolled emotion? <laughs> it's raining, I got time, don't I? It's amazing to me. You know, I mean, I joke all the time, tell folk I don't have feelings because feelings never do any good for anybody except get them in trouble. You know, now that's cynical. And you know I'm not 100% serious about that. But by golly, emotions get us in more trouble than we can ever imagine. And it normally comes out like this. Well, I just felt like, well, quit doing that. You can't live by your feelings. I mean, my goodness, my feelings change every two or three seconds. Since I've been preaching here, I felt like I needed to quit a hundred times, but I hadn't yet. You probably wish I would have, but I hadn't. He says, you always go astray in your heart. Not only is it the emotions, but it's the center of our will. Our will. And here's the bottom line. You know, you know why we don't follow God most of the time? Here's the reason why. People do what they want to do. Now, they're going to make excuses. But the bottom line, what it always boils down to is people do what they want to do. Amen. They don't do what they don't want to do. And that's our heart going astray. And God says that's a predictable pattern. And he says you always go astray in your heart. So what area is our heart? Man, we have got to allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and direct our emotions and our feelings and our will. Everything is included in our heart. But number next, he moves from the heart to the head. Look what he says in verse number nine, or verse number 10c. And they did not know my ways. Now, this is dealing with the head. Uh, emotions, the heart is dealing with, 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 with a part of our volition. But when we don't know something, it means this. It means that the head is uninformed. So here's why they went astray. They went astray because their heart was uncontrolled. And number two, they went astray because their head was uninformed. You know, here's the pattern. Here's the biblical pattern of the way we control our heart. It comes through the head to the heart. Now get this. It's not enough just to stay in the head. I mean, you've heard... Great preachers say most people miss heaven by that much. They've got knowledge, but it never gets them to transform their being and who they are. But I want to tell you, we have no chance, no chance at transformation, no chance at controlling our emotions if we first don't have knowledge of God. 
So this takes us all the way back to prioritizing the Word. If we don't know the Word, then we can't expect the Word to help us control our heart when it wants to lead us astray. So there's two reasons here they go astray. One is because of the heart, and one is because of the head. Number next, and we're going to be done. Got two more. What is the other consequence of a hard heart? The dreadful consequence. Well, a hard heart misses God's plans. Verse number 11. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Do you know how close they were? They came right up to the edge, Jerry. They even sent spies in. They came back carrying watermelons that were the size of a Volkswagen car. Grapes the size of basketballs. They were living so close, they could see the milk and honey over there. And God says, uh-uh, you ain't going. You know, if there's any dread or regret when we get to heaven, you know what it's going to be over? I can tell you what mine's going to be over. It's going to be over this. When I get there and I finally see from God's perspective... And I look back and I see the good plan he had for my life on this earth. And I see how close I came, Jerry. I got right there. But because of a stupid, foolish, hard heart, I missed it. Just missed it. Man, how agonizing is that going to be? You know, sometimes I'm fishing and I think, you know, I wish I had the ability to know just how many world record bass my lure went right in front of their nose. <laughs> and they just watched it go by and didn't bite it. Sometimes when I'm hunting, I'm thinking, how many Boone and Crockett bucks are just right there, just out of my view, and I don't know it. But by golly, I don't want to get to heaven and see the plan that God had for my life and knowing know what I traded it for. Hey, nobody likes to make a bad deal, do they? You, you, you know that show, Let's Make a Deal? You remember that? Well, old Wayne Brady's the host now. It used to be... No, what, it was Monty something. What was his name? Monty Hall. Yeah. And he would always say, you want to take curtain number one or will you trade it for the box where Carol Merrill's now standing? And sometime they'd open that box. He'd say, yeah, I want, I want the box. And they'd open the curtain and there'd be a brand new truck back there. And then they'd open that box and there's a billy goat. <laughs> Look, that's what it's going to be like. We're going to see what God had for us and we're going to know that I traded all of that for a dang billy goat. <laughs> what in the world's going on? Check out number next and I'm done. The dreadful consequences of a hard heart. They miss God's good plan. Number last, they die out of place. They shall not enter my rest. You see, God, God had rest for them. You know, that's a rare commodity today, isn't it? I saw a report the other day on TV that said, tired driving is killing more people today than drunk driving. Because to go without rest is detrimental to your health, it's detrimental to other people's health. And more people are dying on the road, not because drunk drivers kill them, but because tired drivers dozed off at the wheel and killed them. 
And here they were right up next to that rest. They were right up next to the land, but yet they died out of place. They were over there in the wilderness, and they died. Hey, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to die out of place. Now, I'm going to die one day, but Rod, I want to die with everything in me right in the center of God's will. Or, if he comes back before I die, I want to be standing obediently right in the center of his will when he comes back and finds me and picks me up, huh? Man, what, what a situation it would be for me to die somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be. May it never happen. Hey, listen. Has the Spirit of God checked up on your heart lately? Don't let sclerosis of the heart barricade you from where God wants you to be. I think next week he's going to talk to us about the positive side of this. And there is a positive side. So let's get some of that too. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, would you help us, as we have said today, not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. God, would you help us not only get the word in our head by prioritizing it, but God, by working it down into the core of our being, into our heart, and may it affect the center of our emotions, our will, our preferences, and everything about us. So God, we ask that you would find Grace Church living under your smiling pleasure. I pray for those who are here today that, Lord, they just haven't found their place yet. And God, today you may have directed them to where they need to be. Some of them who are here today, God, realize they've never surrendered their life to Christ, and today may be that day because they've heard the voice of the Lord. Some may know that they need to plant their life here at Grace Church and grow with this body so that the rising tide can lift all of us. God, whatever it is you've said to us today, may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I pray it in Jesus' name. If there's a decision.